So as many of you know, I have two brothers. I'm a middle child, which explains everything about me. <laughs> My brothers and I were pretty good kids growing up. I mean, you know, we had our moments, but uh, overall I'd say my parents lucked out. And I know my mom is watching on the stream tonight, so if I see no motion over there, that's agreement. It's, she's, she agrees. So um, there were, though, I would say a few areas where every so often we were not the most delightful children. And one of them was that we may have liked to, you know, engaged in a little sibling love, physical harassment. And uh, there was a big phase where we would just poke at each other's arms. That was a strong phase. So my parents decided that um, to curb this natural enthusiasm for pushing each other around, that they would set out a few rules for our safety. And there were two. The first was, whoever hits last is at fault. They were trying to teach us restraint. And the second one was no fighting on the stairs. They were trying to keep us alive. <laughs> they seem like pretty sensible rules, right? So the problem was we were pretty good kids and we were also pretty smart kids which meant we immediately figured out how to game the system so that we could use the rules to our own advantage, which looked something like this. Person number one would just hit person number two until they were provoked enough to hit back. And then they would run to the stairs, which was the safe zone, so they couldn't be hit again. And they'd call up to my dad, who would be in his office, Dad, Josh hit me last, and get the other kid in trouble. So my parents were pretty smart, too, and they figured out pretty quickly that the rules, which were not very successful in changing their kids' behavior, would themselves have to change. So I'm sure that the parents, or grandparents, or aunts, or uncles, or older siblings among us, will agree that my mom and dad were not alone in learning this lesson. Kids can be kids, and sometimes we, the adults, have to adapt who we are as we help them to grow, and not the other way around. It's a lesson that, remarkably, even God seems to learn this week, in this week's portion of Noah centered around the story of its title character, Noah. Many people struggle with the divine as portrayed in this story. It's kind of difficult to believe in a God who is willing to erase all signs of life as punishment for bad behavior. But I find comfort in reading this story not for the all-powerful eternal one, who creates and destroys worlds, but for the eternal one who is learning how to care for humanity, who makes mistakes, who adjusts for human behavior and the potential for growth. The eternal one who looks a little bit like my parents. There are two very important ways that this kind of God appears in our story textual nuances that offer us a message this Shabbat 
for how we might better understand our own lives and move through this world. The first indication that God is growing in the Noah story is in the reason given for why the world will be destroyed. And then, on the end, the reason why it will never be destroyed again. Strangely enough, it's the same reason. At the beginning of the portion, Genesis chapter 6, the Torah reads, The earth became corrupt before God. The earth was filled with lawlessness. When God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on earth, God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with lawlessness because of them. The world will be destroyed because people can do really awful things. But then, after the destruction, when the flood subsides and Noah and his family emerge from the ark, God says, never again will I doom the earth because of human beings. Since the devising of human minds are evil when they are young, I will never again destroy every living being as I have done. The world won't be destroyed because people can do really awful things. Rabbi Shai Held sees this as an embodiment of God's capacity to adapt, to change, and to learn. What has changed after the flood, he writes, is not human nature, but God's attitude toward it. The very same shortcomings which had called forth doom and denunciation now elicit forbearance and generosity instead. The crucial lesson is that the same attribute that we see as cause for reproach can often serve as a basis for forgiveness as well. God seems to learn the very lesson my parents did. If the way you are trying to change others' behavior isn't working, maybe you can think differently about how you react to the behavior rather than expect that it will change of its own accord. And maybe that change you affect in yourself will bring you towards gentleness, compassion, and greater acceptance. This is a beautiful first step in God's growth and a model, I think, for our own. But what if we really do need to guide people in changing their behavior? God really does want a world with greater goodness and less wrongdoing. My parents really want their kids to not physically injure each other. Adapting to that reality is hard for others, to the reality that change is hard for others, does not have to mean that we don't still find ways to guide them. It just means that as we change, our attempts to guide others change as well. When Noah's family finally emerges from the ark, God offers them a familiar commandment, pru or vu, be fruitful and multiply. Familiar because it was just offered last week to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A meaningful parallel when both stories offer us a glimpse of God's frustration at the consequences of human free will. This time, after the destruction, God offers the same command, word for word, except one. 
To Noah and his family, pru or vu umilu et aretz, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To Adam and Eve, pru or vu umilu et aretz, vikivshuha, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Vikivshuha, and subdue it, conquer it, reign over it. Omitting that one word changes everything. God is learning. Last time, I taught human beings that they deserve to dominate the earth, and the earth descended into chaos. And even when I, God, chose to exert my dominion over the earth, it led only to death and destruction. Let's start anew, God says. This time, no conquering, no domination. What if we all just tried to be? To flourish and grow and create, and yes, to make mistakes and not rush in and take over when they happen. The rainbow becomes a sign then that God will keep the earth whole but it also becomes a sign that God, like us, grows and learns and makes mistakes. It is a sign that things can change when we change how we approach them, when we let them breathe, when we stop trying to force people to be other than themselves, when we greet wrong decisions and behavior and even evil not with an equivalent opposing force, but with justice and colors and light and compassion. So this Shabbat, I pray that the promise of Noah's story be your guide. May it comfort you to know that even God is learning. Even God makes mistakes. Change what you can, guides others with kindness, and only then might you be able to bring rainbows into being.